Welcome back, Rampants, to the SaaS Ramp Podcast. I'm your host, Podcast Pete. Welcoming Bridget Gleason to the show today. Bridget is the Chief Sales Officer at Silk. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you, Pete. And I love that podcast, Pete, and just your whole intro. It's awesome. Thank you. You know, this is one of my favorite parts. I just, the whole podcast is like based around my ability to just kind of jump on stage and do my Here's Johnny. So good thank for you. you for humoring me on that It's good that some one. people love that. Yeah. Like the full on promotional, like it's the WB frog is what I also reference. Yes. I like it. Well, thanks for being on. I love that you're chief sales officer and then you're taking this company Silk forward. And we know that it's been a very interesting year in, in, in cloud data and SaaS and software in general. And so we'd love your take on just kind of diving right into, we like to look at like biggest challenges. So if you were thinking back a couple quarters, maybe six months, what would be the biggest challenge you've experienced as CSO at Silk? Well, I don't think, Pete, this is going to come as any surprise to anyone. Off the heels of COVID and then moving into just a lot of economic uncertainty has clearly been the biggest challenge. We also serve a lot of retail customers and a lot of the big box retailers just they did super well during COVID and they scaled up and they scaled out to manage the demand and the money that was spent perhaps on travel was now being spent on home goods, et cetera. So we saw rapid expansion and then some contraction of some of our big clients. So in terms of, you know, when you think about leadership, and uncertainty, you know, we've and managing sales team, pre-sales, post-sales. It's a couple of things. It's how do you get laser focused on the customers that you're going after, the message that you're delivering, your execution, all of that has to be really good. That's one side of the challenge. The other side of the challenge, you have to manage humans who are also feeling a lot of anxiety. I mean, I think this is the difference between management and leadership is they're feeling a lot of personal anxiety as well as these things come out. And how do you continue to be a realistic, but also lead and just make sure your team stays in place and intact and focused and don't lose sight of the fact that we're dealing with humans here, not robots. and we've really got to come together to support one another. So I think there's the personal side, there's the just economic side, you know, me doing my job and my goals, the team's goals, but certainly the economic uncertainty is has been the biggest challenge. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned some words at the beginning of that, like scaling and expansion. And then these were the words like at the turn of the year, and then on the backside of that, coming into any form of contraction and then just the idea of like trying to become more efficient with, with what you have. But then you as a leader kind of brought up the, not the flip side of the coin, but just the sheer fact that there are human beings involved in this. And so it's not just there are business decisions being made and some pivots happening. And then you as a leader are trying to actually, you know, lead other human beings through it who might have a touch of trepidation or fear like this, this is the circumstance by which they you know, feed their families and things like that. So it's right. a bigger responsibility than the average individual contributor, I'm sure. 
Yeah. And I think also the challenge for the business, thankfully, Silk has a very strong message in this economic climate. There's still a requirement for the performance that we deliver, but at a price point, like you mentioned, efficiencies. So we're able to deliver that performance at a very efficient price point. So it does, even though there's some contraction, it does make sense for companies to spend on silk and move forward. And I think every business needs to look and find what is the opportunity within this economic climate. What is it and where is it? And that's what you've really got to hone in on. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And this is just, this is, you said it too at the very beginning. You're like, I'm sure you've heard this before because it's so pervasive. You cannot yeah. certainly not look into LinkedIn for even one moment without just seeing it, just washing it over you. Certainly not if you turn on one of the 24 hour news stations or something like that. So it's going to be top of mind for every organizational leader for sure. Well, and just to put, you know, it's, we see, you can see and find the bad news and the doom and gloom anywhere, like you said. But you also see, and we've experienced with the business, that it's, things are slowing. There may be some contraction, but business is still being done. We haven't moved to a grinding halt. Business is still being done, and we're still moving forward, and we're closing big deals. So there's also some positive news in here. And again, when I think about the challenges, we have to, as leaders, make sure that we also highlight the things that are positive and going well. You know, you don't want to over-rotate on either side. You don't want to be Pollyanna and everything's going to be fine. But also, if you go too far in the other direction, that's not good either. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you're, think when you're thinking of it, because you're trying to you're trying to you're trying to balance this thing. You're trying to understand like which, which what place to be in because business is not halted. It's not you know people aren't scaling out of control. There's not venture capital money just being given to people on the street. You know this right. is a, an exaggeration, but like a couple of guests have brought that to my attention about how exorbitant it was before by now standards by today's Q4 standards. But the uh, the one thing then like. How can a leader such as yourself actually focus in on simply one thing to make sure happens correctly? Or better better put, what is the one thing that you would want to do to make sure your get, goes correctly so your org can grow? Pete, for me, I think the answer is always the same. It's that I hire the right people. I just think that. And it's hard. It's hard. Make more mistakes on it than I would like to, which is hard on everybody. You know, you never... It's hard on the company. It's hard on the individual if you don't hire right. But if you get the right people in the seat, a lot of other things will go more smoothly. So taking a little extra time in terms of hiring, being really clear about what you're looking for, sort of a pattern recognition in terms of what do these sales for me, you know, kind of on the go-to-market team, what does that look like? But if you hire right, a lot of other things, a lot of other things go well. And of course, once you hire, you, you've got to make sure you enable also. But getting the right people in the door is critical. It's number one for me. Okay. 
You mentioned setting clear expectations, like having it be understood. This is probably from both sides. Like, here's what the role is. Here's what we're looking for to happen within that role. That's really helpful because, you know, when you think of like chief sales officer, you're not necessarily thinking, think of somebody who is trying to put together like pertinent messaging, who is trying to be like inspirational to some degree to like have everybody understand a clear goal and a motivation behind moving towards it. All the blocking and tackling that they might help depending on, you know, where they sit in that org chart. But then hiring is like one of those things that like, it doesn't seem like first and foremost, but that's not the first time I've heard that answer either. So any, this is off the cuff a bit, but like any sure. advice as far as like hiring for other sales leaders? Well, it depends on your stage also. So there's a difference when you're hiring at an early stage and the type of profile you look for. Because typically, you don't have a lot of data to go on, and you don't have a lot of repeatable yet. I mean, it, it builds, so it depends on where. So in a later stage company, you want somebody that can execute on a plan because you've already figured it out. We know you go after these, you, you go after these types of accounts with this type of message. This is what it looks like. This is the product. So you need someone who's just excellent at executing on a plan. I would say early on, it is perhaps a little trickier. You need people who are really good at pattern recognition. So they have to have some core sales acumen, and they've got to be able to say, yep, this looks like a good opportunity and this doesn't. And it's being able to qualify in and qualifying out, I think. Qualification is one of the most important things that you're not wasting time, everybody's time, on something, an unqualified deal. And it gets a bit tricky to evaluate if, for example, at Silk, we have a lot of large enterprise deals. Long sales cycles, very complex. It may take you months to get to a right group of people. You know, these things take a long time. Right. Which means sometimes, Pete, that it's hard to assess if you have the right person or not. It's not when you have mere velocity sale and you see the at-bats and what they're doing, it's a, you, you can identify what the issues are. You can also help course correct more quickly. Mm -hmm. But I would say in, a, in an enterprise sale, you don't always, I don't always see it as quickly as I would like. And we are aggressive users of, we use Gong. So we record yeah. all the calls. I listen. If I'm not on the call, I listen to almost every call. Yeah. And it's, again, it's my job to make, to give these individuals the best chance of success. And they listen to one another's calls and, you know, it's just a great tool to accelerate learning. So you get the right people on, but then you've got to make sure that you enable them and give them the tools that they need to do their job. Yeah. I don't know if that was sort of a roundabout way of answering the qualification. I think every company is a little bit different. How much technical acumen you need, kind of where you are, what kind of sales cycle it is kind of where you are in terms of the sort of product market fit and having that nailed. So I think those are all things to be, there's probably, there's not a one size fits all. Makes sense. 
And that does make sense. And you mentioned uh, when you got into qualification, this is again, another aside, but like you're talking about people hiring people in who would have the ability to qualify. I have to ask just because this episode will probably air back to back with a gentleman from sales medic group who just kind of broke that down for the audience a little bit as oh, well. Right. Is this a, is this, does it matter to you the framework that, that your hires would know, or is it just that like that they have that pattern recognition, whether it's a medic or a bant or a, you know, any type of, of acronym that might be helpful. Like, do you have a preference yourself for your hires at Silk? I have a preference. I like medic or med pick. You know, there's different variations on it in terms of knowing where you are in a deal. It's a bit of a forecasting tool also. There's also a sales methodology that I like, which is I typically like Sandler. Sandler. Okay. Okay. However, the fundamentals of these sales methodologies are very similar. You just have to have a good foundation. It's like if you play piano, if you can play the classics, it's a good foundation for wherever you want to go after. And I was fortunate that I was trained early on at Xerox. I mean, definitely dating myself. They had one of the best preeminent sales methodologies and sales schools at the time in the country, Xerox and IBM did. And we did weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of training every year. And just as I've observed different sales methodologies, they all have very similar, the fundamentals are the same. It's important, Pete, again, sort of roundabout answering your question that we all align on the same one, whatever it is. It's just so you're speaking the same language and everybody's on the same page. But if you've got the fundamentals, it doesn't take a lot to sort of adjust from one to another. I haven't had a salesperson who knows the fundamentals, who's ever had any issue with a particular named methodology. They just need to know the fundamentals. So I do look, have you had training? How do you use it? Do you still use it? You know, that's an important qualification as well. Okay. Okay. And well put, I kind of like the music methodology because like whenever you look at these people who do amazing improvisational things, they typically have some kind of very like foundational background. Right. And, you know, and then so, so somebody knows Sandler, somebody knows Challenger, somebody knows Winning by Design, somebody knows Command of the Message, then they're just like calling out the key of C and you're like, okay, we'll play this one in, you know, and whatever and, it happens to be. And, and it's so funny, all the ones you just mentioned, every single one. I have used or am using, like we just did a command of the message training last week with the team. I know winning by design and Jocko, I brought him on, especially early stage. So I know all of them. I've used all, I, I know them intimately and you kind of need to as a sales leader, but they can, you know, different. They're also different, good for different companies at different stages at different times. I think as well. That's been my experience. Okay. That's another podcast. I, I won't go down that one. I've already had a couple of rabbit holes, but like that would be another one because I would love to know in your opinion, like what stage. All of them. I've used all of them. Every single one you've mentioned. I know them well. So intimately. Okay. I've been around okay. for a while. Yes. I've been doing this for just a minute. That's awesome. Okay. Okay. Then let's maybe let, make the pivot into that. 
tell us a little bit more about yourself then, Bridget. Like, like you're in chief sales officer seat. This is a, like a, a highly coveted seat. Many individual contributors, managers, directors would love to be in that particular seat themselves. So what are the personal, professional experiences that have kind of brought you to this point in your Pete, it's so funny. Yeah, everybody, it's a coveted position. Then you get into the position and you realize, yeah, it's coveted, but it's a hard position. I love it, but it's, you can't shortcut to get here. You know what I mean? Like my path, just answering the question, I was not, I did not take a ladder to get here. I was definitely a jungle gym. Mm. Lots of experiences in that jungle gym. So started as, you know, an enterprise salesperson, always been, pretty much always been in technology. And I just personally, you know, things come into our life personally. Personally, I went through a divorce. I had two little kids, a single mm. mom, one and a three-year-old. And I worked for a company part-time for a couple of years, and then I went out on my own, which now I think, Pete, what was I thinking? A single mom with going and starting my own thing, like the risk that's associated with that. And yet anybody who's done sales for any length of time knows that in sales, it's like you're managing your own book of business and you have to bet on you. You have to bet on you. And I would always bet on me. I know I'm a hard worker. I need to get from A to B. I'm going to get to B. So I took these years where I started a company. I ended up selling it. I went and did some consulting. And all of the reason that I did this, Pete, is I wanted, I was going to prioritize my kids. And if I, it was my company, I can prioritize. I'm, and that was really an important thing. That was a decision that I made to do that. And I would say one of the great learnings for me that came out of it is I had limited time and learning what to do and what not to do. What's a priority? What's not a priority? You just have to cut to the bone. And that has served me well. When I've had an ex, more time, you know, my kids are out, gone out of the house, more time, but I still apply the same principles of what I do and don't do and prioritize ruthlessly. Mm. So after, um, when I was consulting and I'll tell you, I, one in three is when I started this like loan journey. I didn't go work for anyone, Pete, until my youngest was a sophomore in college. Oh, wow. You had a, that's a, what, 15, it was a lot. 17 year? Yeah. yeah. Now I was working and I was working with a lot of startups. I was doing a lot of sort of consulting in the role. And I was a sort of a fractional VP of sales at a company and the CEO finally just said, just come on board. Why not? You can always go back to consulting. And so then I became VP of sales, North America. Then I ran Europe. Then I came back as their chief revenue officer. So again, it was a jungle gym, but it wasn't a shortcut. 
And I've seen super talented, and again, I'm generalizing a bit here, but I've seen very talented individuals who have oftentimes taken, say, a VP of sales role in an early stage company. And they've then backed, they've left it after a couple of years. And I think the realization that there's a bunch of experiences you just don't know that you have. And I'm not, I want to be clear that I'm not, I think people should go for it. Go for it, get mentors, just make sure you surround yourself with people because who've had the experience because there's going to be things you haven't seen. And mm. just the more you have, you're just not surprised when these things come up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because you just said you've seen it. Somebody's seen it and you can ask them and you can just gather some of that experience, even secondhand, probably better. Yeah. And I'll give an example. Sometimes, like this has happened just recently, is I had a very, a good sales manager and I brought in someone over her. I brought in a VP over her, which never feels good. Right. And, you know, it's, and I said to her, look it, this is the kindest thing I can do for you is because I don't always have the time to do, like I've got a lot of direct reports. I don't always have the time that this individual manager needed. I said, this is the kindest thing I can do for you because you are going to get better coaching and experience that's going to leapfrog you. And it was really interesting, Pete, because initially this VP that came in, I had also told her, you are under no obligation to keep anyone on the team. You get to choose. And I told the manager, you may or may not, you, she may or may not decide to keep you. I'm just, I will not surprise you. We'll make sure we check in, but it's got to work both sides. And Pete, it was so gratifying. Like it now, and this was just, this was within the last six months. I've seen this manager blossom in, I've seen more growth in her. She'd worked for me for about a year in the last three months than I had over the course of a year. And this VP is super happy. She's an excellent mentor. She's an excellent enabler and teacher. And you just see how powerful that is. If we can just check our egos at the front door, you know, just check it there. You can pick it up on your way out. Check it. And just to see how... It accelerated her career, no question. Yeah, no that's question. awesome. So I think there's those opportunities. Um, there's those, and I've seen that several times. Just there are those opportunities to learn from somebody who comes in, and then you go and take the next step. Okay, okay, yeah, it's really interesting. I'm glad to hear that. Like, it's a good positive story too, because sometimes they don't go as well. You know, like they they tend the other direction, but it, it depends on personality types and it depends on if one wants to be a student and if one wants to be a coach, like it has it's, worked for the side. Yeah, Pete, it's really true. I've also had been several times in situations where I've been brought in and the person, there is somebody in the org who was hoping to get the role that they went outside to bring in. And again, that's Anybody who gets to this situation, you're going to run into that. 
not every time, but there's probably someone in place. By the time they're ready to hire a chief sales officer, there's probably somebody in place or has been in place who is hoping for the role. And it does take a lot of give and take. And like, I can just think right now of several of the people where I've had the situation that they're, they're CROs at their own, at other companies now. And so they didn't, again, they didn't let ego get in the way. They saw, okay, let me take this opportunity to go learn what I can. And then I'm going to go get it the next time. And they did. And that's, that's ideal. Yeah, you know, that's you cool. kind of fast track and it's not really a fast track, but you get some additional experience so that you are more prepared next time around. Yeah, I love that. That's great. That's a great way to look at it as well. Because a lot of people may get a new opportunity coming into the new year. This happens a lot at the end of a year in sales, you know, depending on what the quarter structure looks like and everything. So that's a good mentality to have. Right. What about, what about Silk? So like, what is it, like Silk is obviously doing well, moving fast. And it's in this like hyper growth realm is what we pretty much consider it as in software. So what's the context for growth at Silk? What is it that making that make it that makes this this cycle boom for you guys? Yeah, well, I think I alluded to it earlier is we've got a product that sort of meets the economy where it is right now, which is always a good message, but in this economy it is potentially even an accelerator, which is you, there's more competition than ever for any of the customers and accounts who we're talking to. So more competition than ever. So you've got to have high performance. You've got to have operational efficiency because as people are laying off and having to contract, you need to make sure that you've got a tool set that can actually cover up some of that. I would say that's number two. And then number three is the cost efficiencies that come with implementing our platform. So I think we've got a bit of that trifecta of what companies are looking for in sort of periods of economic uncertainty. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. What, who is it that is reached out to? Like who benefits the most from the Silk platform? Like when they bring you on? It, it depends on the use case, but I'll give you some examples. If it's a retail company, it can be that there's more operational efficiencies for the DBAs. It can mean that the end users, so if you and I are going on their online shop, that we've got faster performance, that inventory's always updated, that it's dynamically able to price. It's taking in all this information often into like a big data lake. Yeah. And making sure that data gets to the people it needs to get to when it needs to get there. So it's just, it's facilitating fast access to data when you need it, where you need it, et cetera. So I think that's probably the biggest driver. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Like, I mean, you know, these things have to move fast and the inventory is shipping all around. You have supply chain issues and then you have pricing tr trends, differences and things like that. So. Yeah, that's a helpful platform indeed. Is it IT folks? Is it kind of is it a type of software tool that you're speaking to yes. more technical leads? Okay. Yes, 
And it goes up, you know, the one of the things we always that we also talk about is you've got a technical problem that you're solving. But if that technical problem is not tied to a very big business problem, nothing's going to happen. Not going to happen. So we often we do a trial or a proof of concept. And I always tell the team, we're not doing science experiments here, people. Like, you got to know where the, what the business driver is and why it's really important to the business. Otherwise, let's not do it. Let's wait. Right. So that's, and then sometimes it takes, especially in large companies, it takes some time to get the right folks at the table. As you're moving through the ranks, trying to figure out who all is needs to be structured on that side. Yeah, because you're right, Pete. It's not who, it's who all. There are multiple, and sometimes they don't know each other. They've never met. They can't tell you who it is. So that also speaks to needing to go higher because the higher you go, they can at least point you in the the right direction. Go to this team, go to that team, go to that team. But you've got to earn the right to have a conversation with somebody at that level also. So I I always talk about blackout bingo in terms of, covering an account. You need to go wide across the stakeholders and you also need to go deep. So wide are the different groups that may be involved, security, networking, IT, infra, you know, infrastructure, database architects. But then you also need to go deep from perhaps a DBA up to a CIO. Mm. And because they've got different needs and things they're thinking about at each level as well. Yeah. Okay. So that is a complexity. This is like a complex enterprise. When you're doing introductions, even in a, on, on a call or something like that, a sales call, it almost seems like a nicety, like, let me tell them who I am. And then once you get into an enterprise cycle, you're like, you might be doing introductions because they are in the same organization, not really knowing who each other are or what they do. But For you sure. don't want to make that too openly understood, but you still would like introductions so everybody can smooth into the conversation. Sometimes, Pete, they're perfectly open about we don't know these people. We haven't, we've never met them before. Hey, I've, you know, I've heard about you. So I think also with COVID and people not being in offices and more distributed than ever, than ever, people are meeting each other for the first time and being aware of each other for the first time. Sometimes interesting. that is the world though. And we certainly in software, like the, at the leading edge of that world. Is, would that be one of the top challenges or like just having to navigate these in a high growth situation when you're learning on the fly? Or maybe better put, what are the challenges associated with growth, Growth, like a top challenge or many top challenges? So navigating an enterprise company, is a ch- that's always a challenge. So that's always there. I would say in a high growth scenario, There's this balance of when do you hire and how many do you hire? And because you don't want to overhire because then people are frustrated. They're, you you know, you just have issues. They're not busy. But if you underhire, you may be caught flat-footed and can't capitalize on the growth. So I feel like that's always one for me that I try to, I really try to balance is 
It's why data is so important and sales ops and that information is so important that you can see ahead of when these things are happening. But just, it's not only who you hire, but at what pace do you hire, I would say is definitely a challenge. I don't have a sense that salespeople are expendable. And it sounds like kind of a funny thing to say, but I have, there is a school of thought out there that you just hire as many as you can. They'll last as long as they can. If they don't work, they're gone. And you just kind of keep refreshing the troops. And again, I, it's not my, it's not my preferred way of hiring. Again, there's people's lives and careers at stake. So I try to be a little bit more accurate if possible, but it's hard. It's hard, right? It is hard, regardless of whether you're, that's part of the plan and just understand there's going to be like attrition and losses. But it's, yeah, that's a definite part, portion to it. Fortunately, it sounds like you have a, a heavy enablement, like background, skill set, understanding, whether it was always called enablement or not. Like, it's just like, if you know these foundations and frameworks, if you know these qualification criteria, if you care to show other people, like it's, it trickles down. It also creates a culture where other people are like, oh, well, Bridget showed me, I'll show you, you know. Exactly. Pass on, pass back program. Right. Need to be team players. That's an important, that's really important. We play, we win as a team. We play as a team. It, sales is so, it definitely has an individual component, but it's really important also to recognize that we're part of a team and we'll all do better if we share and help one another. Amazing journey you've been on, even with the entrepreneurial piece in between as well. It, you know, as these things go, like sometimes there's people that have helped you along the way. Can you think of any, maybe couple of folks that you'd like to thank for your journey to this point? Gosh, it would be so hard. It's like the Academy Awards. How many people do I yeah. mention here? I think I would say just generally the people who've been on my team and given me an opportunity, they all know who they are to practice on them as I've gotten better, to tell me when I'm right, tell me when I'm wrong. I, I really try very hard to foster an environment where I can hear what the truth is, whether it's good or it's bad, because that really enables me to learn. So I am just thankful for all of the sort of truth tellers out there who would say, no, Bridget, we're not doing it that way or whatever it is, or that didn't feel good when you did that, or that was not a good way to handle something as well as the positive things. But probably if I had to name one person, if I had to name one, I would name my father. My father was an entrepreneur. He was very, he's passed away, but he's a very successful entrepreneur. And just growing up with that, the ups and the downs and also just the joy and that he got. And he was an amazing leader and inspired a lot of loyalty. And I just watched him in action. And he was so inspirational that I think of him often just in these situations. And I think the reason I love startups so much is I just, it's, it's what I grew up with. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. That's Really, and that was before this term entrepreneur, entrepreneur was like, oh, let's make a t-shirt out of it. Get a oh, t-shirt, yeah. get a hat. You're no, going to love is, it. And this is more when there were no VCs either. You mortgaged your mm. house and you, right. 
like you did all kinds of scary things, took bank loans. I mean, my father was very smart, very courageous. So I, that's very inspirational. That's great. I love to hear that. Okay. In closing, this is the SAS Ramp podcast. That term means a lot of different things to a lot of different people within like cloud software. For you as a chief sales officer or you as just Bridget, like what does SAS Ramp mean to you? No right answer. <laughs> when I think about it, when I think about SAS in general and then particularly ramping, we can't for the sale starts right after the first close. And so to me, when we think about SAS, we think about ramping, you have to have this hyper focus on the customer that there it's not a one and done. Great. We sold the deal. Go to the next one. We sold the deal. Now we got to really dig in and help them on their journey that they continue to realize value from whatever product or service we've sold. So I think of the ramp, I think of the journey, and I think in SaaS, it's all about the customer. That's well put. Definitely. There's so many options they have now. And if they're going to use it, they're going to use it. I've coming from like a product led growth background and they're just, they're, they rule the roost. And with 22 million users at my current company called Postman, like they just, when they get together and decide on a thing, you better listen because, that's because right. that's what they're, that's what they're saying they want. Uh, and it, you get a lot of more feedback points too, when you're, when you can stay in touch with them and, and continue the relationship, make the product better. I think that's a well-put point right there. So true. Uh, this was amazing. Really helpful. Don't forget, we have podcast two where Bridget breaks down all the sales methodologies and tells us where and they fit within your your sales cycle because I'm looking I'm ready. That's <laughs> so good. All right. Uh, thank you so much on behalf of our audience. We really appreciate you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.